The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We are coming to you from Salem, New Hampshire, and we have a super, super special guest, you guys. I am really excited to get this episode out there in the world. Um, we've been coordinating filming, and uh, I just can't wait to share this information. Today, we have Michael DeBruzzo. <laughs> I had to practice saying his name. It's, it's fun. I said we have to have more fun last names when we have guests. And he's going to make dog trainers an offer they can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're going we're gonna to discuss a lot of great things here today. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. All right. My quirky tip of the day, you guys, is I want you to check out forcefreedogtraining.info, right? That's going to be a URL. It will be in our episode description as well. Michael has a ton of great information on there, and I want you guys all to go there and check it out. And it's going to kind of be all-encompassing of a lot of the topics that we're going to discuss here today. So, Michael, thank you so, so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Scott and Jess. I'm excited to be here. All right, great. Um, Tell us a little bit about your history in dogs, because you've been a dog trainer for decades. You are training trainers. You, you're doing a lot of great stuff out there. So tell our listeners and viewers, in case they're not familiar with you, just kind of your experience with dogs in some brevity here. I, I feel like I could go on forever about <laughs> my love for, for training, but I believe my background is going to align with any of your listeners who have always been an animal lover, have always been into animal welfare, always wanted to be really good at dog training and find the best way to do it, who's been doing this for about 30 years. So it's taken me through lots of different schools and educational um, opportunities. And I've done quite a little bit of everything through throughout my career. But um, so I ran a, a pretty popular in kennel program for aggressive dogs and for protection dogs. And I worked with police dogs. Um, I worked with animal shelters. I've handled explosive detection dogs. So I have a pretty broad, um, I have pretty broad experience out in the field. And my love has always been trying to do things the right way, more humanely, because that's the reason why I got into it. I consider myself an ethical dog trainer that believes in being humane, but also believes in being able to give good customer service and give results to people if they are if they are paying for it. I have evolved through the years to become more of an educator. So right now I hold two jobs. Um, for the past about seven years, I work at a career school and it is great. Um, it's a vocational school for 11th and 12th graders where they get to learn about animal training for two years, along with some other things like grooming and first aid and that sort of stuff to give them a really good head start where I teach them the real science of animal training. They all get assigned their own animals to train. It's, it's, it's really great. And I also in the in the evenings primarily do mentorships for for dog trainers and I do courses for dog trainers and I'm trying to align what I'm teaching in the vocational school with um um for professional dog trainers professional dog trainers too so since I had such a hard path to get where I wanted to go 
I, I'm very passionate about trying to make it easier for other people to find that. Yeah, and it. giving them the right information and supporting them and getting them on the right steps to being able to help people and their dogs. Because at the end of the day, that's why most people want to become dog trainers. You know, we want to actually provide results, like you said, and help. And that's what we still do by trade. We host the podcast, but we are pet dog trainers. We are out in the field. We are seeing people all over New England. And, you know, we are helping people day in, day out. That's what we're passionate about. And that's what you've been doing for almost 30 years now. Yeah, a lot of dog training. A lot of pet. I mean, I started in the protection sports and then got into... Uh, pet dog training, and uh, I'm still learning every year, learning, you know, dogs are teaching me stuff every year. I'm like, both of us, you know, always wind up at least once or twice a year saying, geez, I never saw that before. This is a new, this is a new behavior, new, you know what I mean? And it's just something. We're we always need, evolving. We got to work through. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I 100% agree. I mean, I've been doing this, yeah, it's been a full-time part of my life since about 1995. And still every year, I'm like, I can't believe how dumb I was last year. You know, like, like that's yeah. how it is. And and um, so, and especially when you get to this, as I got to this part of my career where I'm more of a teacher, I felt like it has helped me the most, as I'm sure your experience in doing podcasts and having different guests on is I had to let go. Once you become a teacher, you have to let go a lot of your arrogance. Like after you've been doing things a certain way that has definitely worked for you. Um, One of the biggest things I learned the past couple of years is that even though things have worked for me, the more I started listening to other people, I learned like, oh, there are definitely things that work for other people. And it's really about making sense of it, understanding dog training, more than just understanding what worked for you. And that's been my real passion recently is just is teaching truth and teaching ethical dog training. And most trainers out there do have the same thing in common. We're trying to give a better life to the owner and the dog, really. Yeah. And, and but we're unfortunately there's a small group that make it harder for a lot of us that have their priorities in a different order. Yeah. So. so that's, I'm glad that you mentioned those two words, truth and ethics. So that's pretty much why we're here today. We saw a YouTube video that you put out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago now, two to three weeks. How long ago yes, was, yes, yeah. And I, I contacted Michael, we watched it the, the day it dropped and I contacted him like that evening. I'm like, we got to talk about this. So tell us a little bit about this webinar that you attended and kind of just the specifics of what all went on throughout all of this. Okay. I, what I did is, um, um, even though I'm a, you know, I'm most, I'm a teacher and a trainer. I did start off when I went to college with an animal for with a degree in veterinary science and was a licensed veterinary technician and did some stuff with that. And it, you do need in New York state a license to, to keep that credential. So you have to take continuing education credits. So I wanted to keep my license because I also teach things about husbandry and, you know, and vaccines and stuff like that. So it's, it's good for me to stay on top of that part of the field. So I needed to get some continuing education credits. And then I saw Karen Overall was offering credits that had to do with um, the dangers, understanding the damage and effects of punishment, the case against force and shock. That's what it was. So I figured that would be an interesting one to join since I am teaching this stuff. 
if there's any new information, um, it is good for me to know it, right? So that's why I paid to get to continue an education credits. But what I found was really, I was expecting her and I knew about Karen overall that she had the opinion that it's better to train other methods. So I was expecting that, but what I was not expecting, which I was horrified by, was that what she was teaching was not even based on on truth, that I was getting information that was completely false, completely unethical, and was a direct attack on professional dog trainers. So I don't think she was aware that some of her audience were potentially also professional dog trainers that were also, because these lectures are directed towards veterinarians and mostly veterinary technicians, and they are the ones who are referring a lot of their clients to dog trainers. So what was happening in the nutshell of her webinar, it was basically if someone is a balanced dog trainer, and she's literally saying this, that if you refer someone to a balanced dog trainer who uses any form of punishment, the chances are, especially if there's any aggression issue, the dog will need to be euthanize. She was making these very bold claims like that. Um, and then going through studies, which she was completely misinterpreting to also support this argument. And it was obviously a problem to me. So I took down, I started taking notes. I recorded the webinar, started taking notes and looking into the references because I guess she suspect she expects if someone attends one of her webinars, they are going to trust her and not fact check. But it was it was incredibly frustrating because the more I dug into her references, it was just like a rabbit hole. It was just falsehoods over fault. It's just, it's terrible. It's just a never ending hole of false information that really is meant to suppress the ethical professional dog trainer so the veterinary community will continue to send cases to veterinary behaviorists. Yeah. Well, and that's um, just what it is. These, you know, veterinarians are considered dog professionals and it is not that every veterinarian will only refer, refer a first force-free trainer. We have plenty of veterinarians that refer us. They want to think that they'll only be referring the force-free movement, but they, they do refer balanced trainers. A lot of people like still in all types of the veterinary industry are working with any trainer that will help and that they find ethical and everything else. But these are dog professionals that were getting this information and now that are relaying this information to the general public. And that's a huge problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge problem. And I feel for sure that it's reached the level where the the Fair Trade Commission um, should be aware of it and there should be some sort of action. There's a clear case for the whole force-free movement and the marketing strategies. It clearly falls under the category of unfair marketing um, strategies when you look into the information. Simply, just to give you a few examples, but there's so many layers, just simply the term force-free dog training is, from a marketing perspective, a potential customer is going to assume that they use no force at all compared to a trainer that does not refer to themselves as a force-free dog trainer. But any professional dog trainer 
knows that force-free dog trainers do use force by definition. If they are using no pull harnesses or halties, um, you know, um, gentle leader, any sort of head harness, these are technically without, it's not even an argument, are probably the most forceful training tools you can use. They're using the most torque. It's doing, it's, it's manipulating the dog, the dog, the, the most. And it for sure is not positive only. It's for sure when they're using these devices from even on a high school level, you would be incorrect to say that they're not using punishment or positive punishment or negative reinforcement. They are technically using the same amount is any other trainer, yep. all else being being equal. But it's just a very unfair marketing tactic that is going on, which is causing which is causing the problem. So, from Fair Trade Commission point of view, what we have is we have um, force free is not force free. And then if you have a trainer, which you do have some that claim that oh, we don't even use head halters and we don't use no pull harnesses and we really use no punishment at all. If they're advertising to the public that they offer obedience, by definition, it is impossible to truly offer obedience. Meaning, if something is obedience, you could obedient. You could look up any definition you can find in any dictionary. Obedience has to do with the fact that you're training a dog to do some behaviors that sometimes it may not want to do because there's some sort some sense of authority. It's it's part of the picture, and that's what people pay professionals to really do. So from this is also unfair to the public when someone calls one of these trainers and they really do not get the results, but instead they usually get blamed or their dog gets blamed or their dog gets euthanized or something like this when they're not really getting a chance to do other techniques yeah. that are out there. Yeah, their dog isn't getting a fair shake. I've even seen now you say the word obedience that a lot of the force-free trainers don't like to even use that word in anything they do anymore. And they say the, that that represents enslavement of the dog in a sense. So they don't want to use obedience. So what they're actually offering, I really have no idea. Uh, you know, it's very gray. You know, they're, yeah. they're not doing obedience training. They don't refer to it as obedience because that's an enslavement of the dog. And we want the dog to have its own, um, well, how do they refer to it? Agency. Yeah, their own agency. The dog should be able to make these choices on its own. And it just yes. winds up so, being, in my opinion, uh, an incredible amount of management is all you end up with. There isn't any really obedience training. There's just more management. Yeah, and it's it's unfair to the the public that really needs to be protected. And I am I am all for and I'm all for positive training and and I'm totally all for it. But the thing is, um, I don't like I never even in the career school, I don't teach the students there any of those terms: positive only, force free, even balanced training. There's only one type of training, right? There, there's animal training. Yeah. And you're either doing some of it, you know, you're either doing all of it or you're doing just just parts of it, really. Um, and you're leaving things out. Ultimately, everyone is really training. If it works, we're using science. You know, there's, we, we can explain it very, very easily, even though there's a lot of different ways to, to go about that. But what happens, like you said, is they don't even want to use the word obedience. Someone's not called, you know, someone's calling these people for a problem um, right. for they want obedience. And what happens is 
the way that they're talking, it's more of an animal rights perspective. You know, they're forcing an animal rights agenda um, down the throats of people. Most people are concerned with animal welfare, right? Like, which is two different things, right? Like animal welfare is we want to do the right thing for the animal. We want to make sure that they're comfortable. We don't want any unwanted, unnecessary stress. But we're also trying to give a better life for the owner and the dog. Is That's why they call. And you can't get that through self-righteousness, right? It just, it doesn't really... It doesn't really uh, work. Well, and not only that, they're calling, and like you say, they're calling for services in exchange of money. And oftentimes there's an exchange of a lot of money. Like we'll have people that legitimately call Scott. They're like, we've been doing something for 24 months. Like they're not just going to a class and saying like, oh, okay, I tried it. It didn't work. Like they are in the thick of it weekly, like an hour a week, maybe a couple times a week. And they're at their wits end. And, you know, Scott will go to the house, maybe put a rough wear martingale on the dog, do a couple classes with them. And they're just, they're shocked that this level of dog could even exist. You know, it just changes their lives. It takes off the stress load so much. And we really feel for the clients because they're trying, they're putting in their, you know, their best effort, if you will. And the dogs, a lot of times are suffering too, because they're just not getting the right feedback. They're put in a lot of stressful situations. You know, force-free does not mean stress-free. There's a lot of minutia that goes on there. And not only are dogs suffering, not only are clients suffering, a lot of wallets are suffering, you know, and it's, it's, it's not okay from where we stand either. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say that a pet peeve of mine is when I go to someone's house that has a a dog with a lot of problem behaviors and they've already met with another trainer or behaviorist where they've spent two, sometimes three times what I'm charging them to show up and the person never touched their dog. They just sat and had a conversation at the table and never actually took the leash and worked with their dog. And it it just drives me crazy because one of the first things I'm saying is give me the leash. Give me the leash because I know the dog is crazy with them. I need to help them and get this dog away from them for a moment. And uh, and that, that's one of the first things I say when they say we had someone out. We've had two or three other trainers. We don't think the dog's trainable. What did they do? Did anyone come and take the dog and actually start training the dog to do anything? And then in that same session, you know, under $200, for Christ's sake, Scott's then <laughs> handing the leash to the owner and the owner's doing the same stuff. You know, I mean, they act like he's like walking on water, but this is the thing when it is as simple as it can be. And like you're saying, there is science to animal training. There are four quadrants. There are, you know, negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, positive punishment. Like we use all of them. We can't just pretend like that doesn't exist anymore. And it was was interesting in this um, webinar, that was even a confusion. Like that was a point where there was some examples and it was mislabeled, which shouldn't be happening in the dog science world from a professional. Oh yeah. Um, What Karen overall was doing is she had, she's first uh, making a title based on her agenda and then manipulating the facts to fit her title and her agenda, which it doesn't really work like that, which was So when she was describing things that were actually punishment, she was calling it reinforcement if it did not fit into where it should be to prove her, to prove her point. And those things were really blatant, but to someone who understands operant conditioning, however, if someone is not really big into that, for instance, like a client or even a veterinarian who's not sitting there like studying the, the quadrants, yeah. it is very easy for that to just slip by people. And 
So, yeah, so this obviously is going to cause a problem. And to be ethical working with clients is, yes, we need theory that makes sense. But theory is useless if it cannot be applied, if if it doesn't really work in real life. So as a professional, that's why people call the professional dog trainer is to help them with applying things. You know, they can read all the theory that they want, but they need someone, yes, to either take the leash and show them how to do it or explain to them exactly how to do it and make sure that it is that they can do it, that this is a doable thing. And I would say that is part of any business, any professional that gets hired to do something. You're not going to call a professional um, fitness trainer and they're going to tell you all these things in theory that you can never really do. And or they're call overweight. A plumber and they're going to tell you something in theory that you just you're never going to be able to get the tools for that or you don't have or it's going to take forever to fix your leak. Um, I'm really a big advocate, which is also um, something that is manipulated by the force-free community of uh, Stephen Lindsay and Mm -hmm. his original Lima guidelines, Mm -hmm. which is becoming, it's getting more attention lately as well because of all of this, where, you know, Lima is um, least intrusive for the relationship while being minimally aversive, where the force-free community, they have been claiming to be going by these guidelines, Lima, And the only thing that they talk about is using the least amount aversive to the animal, which, right, is just things that the animal doesn't like. But they're totally leaving out or warping the definition of least intrusive to the relationship, which means it's our job as dog trainers to go in there and allow these people to be have a relationship with their dog and be able to bring their dog places, not have the dog locked away, keep the dog with them, not have to euthanize their their dog. And that's really where the competency comes into play. Whereas a trainer, if you do know, like any trainer should know everything about positive reinforcement trainer, but they should also know about every single different tool and and how it could be used correctly because often it is going to be the right choice. So, it's not going to be about them, right? It's going to be about the owner and the dog and, and if you can give them a better life and you could make their you can make their relationship least intrusive. Yeah. And we could come up with lots and lots of examples, right, about that. Um, everything from a, a difficult puppy. I'll give you a, a personal example. I have like a really, really like active, high drive, like German Shepherd, Dutch Shepherd mix, which You could not leave her alone for a minute anywhere. And when she was fairly young, and I would like to have her in the room with me, because she wanted to be with me, she would go underneath my computer desk, tear up the wires, like do all these things that were potential to get electrocuted. And what I did is I took the basic um, scat mat, the old scat mat, put the little nine volt batteries in, put it underneath the desk, go under there, little static shock she didn't like it she understood that it didn't work and a moment of her being uncomfortable and learning right away what that is a moment of being uncomfortable and learning a lesson she's been able to spend hours and hours and hours with me instead of inside of a crate crying being in distress now i other people may not have done that but it was still i made that decision 
because I felt it was in the best interest of our relationship. You know, that was my relationship with the dog. And anyone that knows me, like really knows me, knows that I love animals. And I would never, ever like want my dog to be unnecessarily upset or scared. But I weighed the pros and cons for my personal dog. And I did that. And I really felt it was a great decision for me. Now, what happens with these forestry dog trainers, they'll have one way that might work for what they believe with their dog, and they're imposing it upon other people to the point, well, they would, they would not, they will not veer from that, even if it means a dog getting euthanized yeah. or someone getting rid of their dog. Yeah. Um, and it's just many, many layers of wrong to the people who are paying the money. And then, of course, people like trainers like us that are vilified, even though we know. We, we strive to know everything that they know, plus other options, even if it's something we don't use with our own dogs, right? Like I don't like using gentle leaders with my own dogs, but I know how to, I know how to use them. And I train lots of clients to use them because it was what was right for their dog and what they preferred. And saying that I know how to train dogs with e-collars really, really well, been doing it for years, even though I use them, I don't use them very often on my own dogs. Um, however, for a lot of the cases that would come to me with serious aggression problems or working dogs or things like this, that it was a go-to if anyone wanted off-leash control. It's not even an argument, right? There is no, right? Positive reinforcement is the gas pedal. <laughs> Punishment is the brake, right? Yeah. It's, they're two different things in a car. They're two different things in dog training and certain things are an argument, right? Like, like, like treats is not a replacement for an e-collar off-leash, right? The replacement for an e-collar off-leash was throwing things at the dog, throw chains and, you know, shooting. Literally, I know trainers shoot BBs at their guns, slingshots. These were the old school ways. So I'm not, I feel like I am being humane by learning how to use an e-collar properly to be able to do off-leash. And we all know if you use it properly, it's very, very humane compared to the old methods or we can just say, you know what, there, I'm going to get rid of this. So there is no way to offer that if someone wants off-leash control. I believe that no dog should, I'm not saying me, if, if, if this positive trainer, force-free dog trainer believes that, which is a problem with one of the studies, one, going a little loop here, one of the studies that is being um, spoken about a lot and laws are being made come from a researcher, um, Daniel Mills, who was leading the research, paid about a half a million dollars by the UK government to do this. And he has the opinion that people should not have their dog off leash around livestock, right? Um, and he is being paid to do a study whether e-collars work good around livestock off leash. And part of his research team is also a member of the, associ the, the Association of Pet Dog Trainers in UK. Yeah, it's, a ton, of, it's a ton of conflict of interest yeah, everywhere you look. Yeah, we're talking about serious conflict, yeah. of, conflict of interest. And then now we're talking about legislation and, like you mentioned, yes, you know, it's, it's, potentially more euthanasia and certainly heartbreak for all parties. Like, it, it's, it's gotten so blown out of proportion, it's not even funny. So yes. how can people take action? Like, if they're listening and they're trainers and they haven't been aware of this sort of situation or they're owners and, or if they've, you know, been persuaded by their vet, like, what would you say, in your professional opinion, is the best way to be taking 
taking action right now, especially in the U.S.? The very best way is to first be aware that your rights are definitely being violated. And it is, in my opinion, very easy to prove that your rights are being violated. There's stuff that is, and, and it's not just me. There's a lot of other trainers that are coming to the same conclusion. Once you start looking into what's going on, it's very easy to see that a lot of these laws that are being that are, you know, that we're fighting against are based off of just, just fraud. So first know that your rights are being violated. That's number one. Two is start getting some information. And that's why I put there's, you know, you can go to um, Karen.exposed to learn about my experience. So I do have some notes specifically talking about um, areas where there's definitely fraud. There's also, I have a direct link, um, forcefreedogtraining.info, mm-hmm. which is geared more towards marketing strategies of the force free community that are definitely, again, fraud. And you want to be able to see it and be confident that, yes, we are not crazy. There is something wrong that's going on. And you also have to be aware that the Fair Trade Commission, a lot of people um, are not aware of this. Just a couple of years ago, they totally like boosted um, that that area of government specifically for protecting consumers against and professionals against unfair marketing practices. So there is something in place to protect us as professional dog trainers and the public that is not being utilized right now. And that's where my focus is going to be going into through the summer over here. Because remember when I when I did that uh that rant basically, it was I was just I, I'm like if I don't post something, this is going to take over my whole life because it is a never ending pit of false information that's been going on for years and years and years to the point where it's not even necessary to find everything that was wrong because there's so many, just two or three of the things that are happening that are wrong are things that should not be happening in marketing. Yeah. And you can the fair trade commission can put a cease and desist on using certain marketing um, tactics, using certain words. You cannot, just like you cannot have cigarette companies, right? Like using cartoon characters to, to advertise cigarettes and and you c- cannot have cigarette companies um, being paid by the government to do, to decide whether or not cigarettes are good or bad for, for teenagers is the exact same thing is happening in dog training. You have the same people that are making money off of this force-free imaginary training technique that are conducting the studies, that are taking the government's money, that are that are going to the lawmakers, that are going to the veterinarians, and they're, it's a big funnel to themselves where they're completely unfairly edging the ethical dog trainer out of the way and it's hurting consumers. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I'm glad that you brought up Lima earlier because, I mean, the force-free movement, a lot of segments of that has kind of hijacked Stephen Lindsay's whole principle. Like this is, he wrote about it. He's presenting about it. Like this is, this is his stuff and it mentions all tools. It's not that he excluded tools. Like this is an all-encompassing approach to dog training. And when you mentioned a little bit back, as far as all dog trainers should be versed in using every tool, I agree with you. I think at this point in our country, we won't be there. But if 
nothing else, I would love to get to a point where if you ethically don't want to use certain tools, then refer out to a trainer who is versed in all the tools. And we're just, we're not there. It's like if a force-free trainer can't help, the only options are medication. And then if medication doesn't work, it's rehoming the dog. And if they can't rehome the dog, it's euthanasia. And those are like three really shitty avenues to go for people who love their dogs and want to keep this family member with them and would do anything to keep the family member with them. Yes. And, and now what's happening instead is we have Karen overall, who is, who is preaching to hundreds, maybe thousands of veterinarians saying this one technique that her and the veterinary behaviorist use the head halters is 100% the best way even a child could do it. There's no danger. There's no danger to the neck. It's the safest thing and taken. And remember, this is a tool that was invented by a veterinary behaviorist and was known and originally marketed because it's like power steering and mimics the bite on the muzzle and all these kind of things. And in the same webinars, she is teaching these veterinarians that prong collars are usually sharpened by trainers and are only used to cause pain, that there's never a use for e-collars and all studies points that there's no good use for them at all. And she just completely misrepresents everything in favor of the one thing that her and her community uses with false information that in no way reflects the reality or consensus of the dog of the majority of the dog training field. If you no matter what side they're on, I think it'd be hard for anyone to agree to some of these claims that she is making that that prong collars are only used for pain, no use, or yeah. or there's absolutely no use for or we're for, or we're sharpening them. Collars. I mean, for the most yeah. part these days, people like the Starmark plastic pinches. From what I've seen, if that yeah. works, yeah. Like, and I loved your um, you know, comparison there. The gentle leader was marketed to be a gentle leader. It's similar to calling the prong collar a gentle necklace. Like, marketing is what marketing is. But these people who have done a lot of writing, who have a lot of you know titles and every letters and stuff after their names people are listening to. And I'm so grateful that you attended this webinar because it was funneled towards not necessarily your avatar, you know, and then we're just keep feeding this BS into people and it just keeps becoming more indoctrinated in people's minds. And from where we stand, it's not working great. No. And I, I encounter people that have a lot of guilt about clients that feel terrible about actually using even a plastic pinch collar. They just feel like they're doing something very wrong because of what they've read what they've seen on videos and um you know and i have to it's almost like i have to get them feeling better about just training their dog and what is normal and what's not normal and it's almost like uh you know this brainwashing you gotta get them out of that whole headspace of what is what's acceptable what isn't you know because in their mind they've like we've had just mentioned we've had clients that have spent months and months training with positive trainers and quite often the avenue the avenue in might be through an agility class or a trick class something like that but they inevitably have all these other behavioral problems so they start doing private classes to address the behavioral issues that don't get resolved and then i come in you know like the last resort they've called me and i'll say well let's put this uh, plastic pinch collar on the dog and work him from the neck and they're just, they'll do it, but they feel terrible about going this direction. And then we've got results right away. The dog is happy. Everything's going fine. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I've spent so much time 
trying to make this happen through this other avenue and it was this easy to make this happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always tell trainers, your goal is right. If the end of a training session, if you as the trainer enjoyed the session, the owner enjoyed the session and, and the dog enjoyed the session as the overall picture and everyone's looking forward to that next training session is you're on the right track. Right. And that could happen with, with any training tool and any session could go the wrong way and we can sure. adjust to it. Um, but that's really what it is, what it is about. And if you don't give clients the opportunity to be able to have a lot of choices to see what works right for their dog, um, you, you can't always get that. And it is, it, it's unfair that you have to spend time trying to undo brainwashing with, with certain clients where you're choosing that tool because it is going to be safer on his neck. The star mark is going to make it so they have, so they don't need to use as much force, right? They can use a little bit of movements with their hand. They don't have to twist the dog's head. They don't have to spend extra money to do a whole session, getting the dog used to the, the halty. Yeah. Or since you may want to use a muzzle, it's not going to be in their best interest to do, do a head halter. And then you got to do them right. There's, there's so many reasons why we make the choices that we do. And it's not to say because there's going to be someone listening that's going to have some story about a trainer that came in and did something harsh. It's it's not to say that there's not dog trainers that are just that unethical, are not unethical. Yeah, completely. Yeah, there's yeah. that they're not good to do, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the tools and yep. all this stuff. You know, all this stuff that happened in England, it got triggered because of a police dog that was hung with the choker collar and kicked and its ribs were broken. And it triggered this whole movement of being more humane in dog training. But guess what? But it became an attack on training tools. It had nothing to do with the fact that that police dog handler didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. And, and nothing, and the, and the, the dog got kicked and hung, which could happen with, with a leash. It had nothing to do with a prong collar. It had nothing to do with an e-collar. So instead, what it did, it becomes a win for marketing for certain circles. But it's a big loss for these these anim- these dogs that need more education to be controlled better. Yeah. Well, and, and like Scott always says, we have laws on the books for animal abuse. Like, yes, blatant animal abuse should be called out, but yeah. there's no reason now that we need to start banning tools. And you talking about it being actual rights of dog owners, that is important for people to realize and understand. People should have the right to use whatever tool necessary to not only control their dog po- safely in public, but also to keep their dog alive. And if an educator on 18 works well for the dog, that's great. Or six. I mean, you know, a lot of people judging these tools don't know the evolution of some of these products. And I invited people, you know, a few episodes back, if you're going to be towards e-collar bands, order, you know, an ethical e-collar on Amazon, try it from, you know, zero to 20, see when you actually feel it, understand that it's more like a TENS unit, then return it. But don't be speaking out on things that are keeping dogs alive, keeping dogs safe, keeping dogs happy and hiking, and, you know, keeping owners happy. Like this is, this is an issue of rights. And this isn't just the, you know, BS rights of, oh, my rights, and I'm not wearing a mask. No, like we're talking about dog ownership, and we should be able to own our dogs and train our dogs in the methods that we choose personally, how we feel. Yes. And all that and the fact that there's no scientific evidence that 
these tools are the root of abuse at all. Yeah, the um, statistic about um, having a balanced trained dog get is more likely to be euthanized was just staggering. And maybe that's because frequently we'll say, you know, dogs that maybe haven't explored balanced training may get euthanized. And there's no statistics on that either. I just frequently see like, oh, we tried medication, we tried this, and then we had to put the dog down. But that was crazy to me. Like, I just didn't understand how we can be saying a dog that was trained, an aggressive dog or any dog with balanced methods or aversive methods is more likely to be euthanized. If we could find that statistic somewhere, that study, I would love to see it. I I did some digging to figure out how she came up with that information because yeah, it makes no sense, right? Because Every dog, we like, everyone that calls us, they usually aggression is part of the picture, yeah. right? And I'm like, I don't have that. I that, I think I had a pretty good success rate and happy clients, you know? <laughs> like, where are all these euthanized dogs? Yeah. I Another trainer, she found a reference that she made. I think it was on, there's something called like shock-free coalition or something uh-huh. where there's this like testimonial from Karen Overall. Those facts are based on her own experience in her own practice when people come to her and they have an aggression problem and they tried dog training. All dog training is balanced. They're more likely to get euthanized. So she's basing it off of her own failure rate. And we all know, right? I mean, I know... I have, I remember every dog that I ever decided that, you know what, this is probably in the best interest of the dog and the person to euthanize this dog. It's a very small amount, but this I can say, it was never ever about the training plan or the training tool. It was about the dog's genetics and the situation that the dog was in. And if we can get the dog in a better situation, all right. And on top of it, I was never too proud to send the dog also to veterinary behaviorists for things that I could not do, like medication. If I hit the end of the line and I did, I'm like, I have done everything that I can do. Let's try this medication, you know, just in case. All right. I had no problem doing everything. But if I came to that conclusion, I never blamed it on a training tool or what some other trainer did, because I, if I'm a professional, I should be able to rehabilitate anyway, right? Yeah. That's what rehabilitation is, right? Yeah. Can't change temperament, but rehabilitation is trying to bring back to what once was, right? Um, and by making claims like that, it's a real like cop out, right? It's like, it's like not taking accountability. It's very just unethical. Well, and it's making a mockery of science, which is what's becoming a big concern here because, you know, vets are very big into science, everything else. Animal training is science, as, as you've reiterated. And if you're drawing from your own experiences, that's not science. And if you're taking survey studies from certain populations that only train a certain way, that's not science. Like we have to get back to looking at reality because the reality is, is in our hearts and in our lives, we want to keep as as many dogs and owners alive and po- and happy and out there in the world enjoying themselves as possible. And it's not some just agenda. You know what I mean? We're not just trying to get the most money or as you mentioned earlier, it's like more of an animal rights activist perspective than anything else. You know, we need to be there to support dogs and owners in every possible way, like you mentioned. Yes, 100% yeah. agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your information. Do you have any other closing thoughts here? I know there's a lot to unpack. Um, I'm going to put um, all of these links in the show notes for listeners and viewers to check out and to learn more about. Uh, my, my closing remarks is 
anyone listening to this, no matter which way you train, no matter what your beliefs are, is keep an open mind. Um, listen, listen to other trainers and believe that the majority of trainers and people out there do have good hearts and want to do the right thing. And check your facts and rethink, rethink things. I'm still rethinking things now. And yeah. I change my opinions all all the time, as hard as it is to do. But we're we only know what we know at the moment. So yeah. But thank you so much, Scott. Oh, and Jess. thank you so much, Michael. And on. thank you so much for all you do for the dog world overall. Michael has great information out there for you guys to check out. A few housekeeping things on our end. We've been getting a lot of um, emails lately about in-person dog training. Our service area is Portland, Maine, to Boston, Maine, to Manchester, New Hampshire, and monthly meditation will be up tonight or tomorrow. Michael, thank you so, 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 so much again. I hope everybody checks out everything you have to offer. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.